Can we just give God praise again? What a wonderful morning of worship. Praise. So at the end of the service today, there will be men at the door, perhaps ladies at the door. They will have an offering plate. And if you have brought an offering today or feel led to give, I would invite you to drop that in the offering plate as you exit the doors. Also, if you're our guest today, perhaps you've already found it. Inside here is a little card that you can tear out just like that. Just like that. How about that? But anyway, if you would fill this out and allow us to have a record of your visit, you say, what are you going to do with this information? We're going to put it all over Facebook is what we're going to do. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to put you on an email list or anything like that. There is something there that you can check what you want us to do. If you'd like a call from our staff, you can check that. If you would like a visit from a staff member or myself, you can check that. But if you're not interested in that, you just want us to know that you're here, but you don't want us talking to, that's okay. We love introverts, and we're so glad that you're here today. So if you would fill that out and allow us to reach out with you in God's good time, I would really appreciate that this morning. You know what? I have not preached in four weeks, and uh, Lee Allred's son, Matthew Allred, I believe Matthew's in fifth grade, he told his daddy once I was laid up in the hospital, he said, oh, dad, we are never going to get through John. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. Since I've missed several weeks, I'm going to give you every sermon over the last four weeks in one message. But rest assured, I'm only going to give you the main point from each. That way we can get out of here in a timely fashion but I am just so excited to be here. I feel good. I've had two Dr. Peppers this morning, and I, I just have a lot of energy. Uh, I don't take medicine during the day, but I do take it at night, and uh, it makes me really emotional. I've been like Miss America at my house, I'm telling you. I, I was telling the choir last night, I got on Facebook Marketplace, and I saw this thing on there that I wanted for my boat, and I called this guy and inquired about it and stuff like that, and he told me about it and stuff like that. And then afterwards, like, my wife's making fun of me because afterwards I'm like, he's such a nice man. <laughs> Never met the guy. That's what drugs do to you. So, anyway, I want to speak to you this morning from the living and active Word of God, and I want to invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to John 19 and verse number 28. John 19 and verse number 28, as we speak this morning, it is finished and it is only. And you see it perfectly pictured here in the Gospel of John. Our main statement is it is already finished. The tomb on the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now fulfilled, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine, it also should be interpreted 
cheap wine. It's actually, it was the drink of choice for wine amongst the lower class people. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, because it was Passover, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other, talking about the two criminals that were crucified with Jesus, who had been crucified with him. But they came to Jesus and saw he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may believe. Remember the writer of John, whoever that may be? Traditionally, it's the Gospel of John. There are other ideas. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But he was there at the cross, and Jesus we talked about it a month ago, handed his, the care of his mother over to this disciple at the cross, and he saw the blood and water flow. For these things, notice, and he says it's written, for you may believe, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him who they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. By the way, Joseph of Arimathea was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, religious ruling body. Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, think John 3, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths and with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. The burial custom of the Jews was this. There would be a family tomb, and in the family tomb there would be sarcophaguses on one wall, which would be small boxes, small stone boxes, and then there would be a stone table. What would happen is that when your loved one died, you would lay their body out on the stone table and they would decay for a year. Then you would return once they had decayed and were dried up bones and take those because they were not embalmed and then break the bones and put it in a box or a sarcophagus and then everyone was stored as a family inside the tomb. So they were literally allowing Jesus' body to decay. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. Remember that. In the garden, a new tomb. Remember that too. 
in which no one had yet been laid. For instance, no one had yet been laid. Why is that a big deal? Aren't most tombs always empty if they're new? Like no one. But remember, tombs were the place for the decaying. This is brand new. No family is even there yet. No one decayed in this tomb yet. There are no sarcophaguses, sarcophaguses yet. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. All this took place at night. Now, notice this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. All this emphasis on darkness, remember this. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying with the linen cloths, but folded up by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Still early, still dark, most likely, maybe the sun's starting to rise. And she wept and stooped to look. Two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. Remember that. We're coming back to it. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. Friends, that's the Easter story. Principle number one I want you to see today. Number one. The cross has finished all sin. I want you to look back in verse number 28 of chapter 19. It says, after this, 
Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, everything Jesus had come to do, to live, to die, to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin, it was all finished. He had come for his mission, and he had finished his mission. John chapter 1 and verse 29, which says this, we looked at it over two years ago. The next day, Jesus coming toward him said, speaking of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God, which, who takes away the sin of the world. We talked about it over and over and over again as we've worked through John. But when John the Baptist says this, the word for lamb he uses here is amnos, which is the Greek word for the conquering lamb, the lamb that is pictured in Revelation to be the overcomer, to come and take the kingdom and to end all wickedness and to stomp out the enemies of God. And John the Baptist, not fully understanding what kind of lamb Jesus had first come to be, said, Behold the amnos who's going to come and bring the kingdom and take away the sin of the world. He's going to get rid of all this sin. He's going to get rid of all these evildoers. Even John the Baptist didn't understand fully. Even the angels didn't understand fully. But Jesus did not become the Amnos. He became the Pasha, which is the Greek word for the Passover lamb. The lamb that became the substitute. The lamb that became the covering and here we see Jesus has finished his mission. He came, he lived, he died, he shed his blood for you and for me. Not only this, the cross, the cross for... ...proves God's love and kindness. Let me tell you one of the liabilities we have of being Southerners and growing up in the South. When we are kids, most of us around here have some connection to church. And if we're not connected to church, grandmama's connected to church, or our great-aunt Alda's connected to church. Somebody is connected to church, and so we have in the back of our minds, you know what, I need to act right because that's what good people do down here in the South. Friends, let me tell you why that goes bad on you. You live long enough and you don't act right. There's not a single person in this room that has not sinned. There is not a single person in this room that if we knew your deepest, darkest secret that you would not be embarrassed, including myself. Friends, we have all blown it. And here's what happens when we grow up thinking Listen, for me to be effective in life, I need to be a good boy or a good girl. The innocence eventually ends and we realize we're not a good boy, we're not a good girl. And I don't think God can use me anymore because look, I've screwed up my life, I've messed up my life. How can God use someone like me? Friends, I want you to see this. Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 reminds us of what took place on the cross. He died for bad people and he proved forever 
by his cross, which took place before any of us ever sinned a single time. It took place to prove for us together. You know what that cross beam means? That cross beam means you are loved and you are forgiven if you are in him because it is finished. No wonder John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world, days of culture war where the left wants to blame the right and the right wants to blame the left. Jesus came into the world and didn't blame anybody. He just came to save us. Anyway, but in order that the world is serious, it's as serious as a heart attack, but Jesus didn't come to bring down the hammer on sin when he came he came to show the world his love and his kindness so therefore hear and understand this morning i don't care where you've been what you've been doing what you've been smoking what you've been drinking and who you've been doing it with i had a friend he told me i knew he had a drinking problem and he told me he just he, he just had time taking things seriously and he just needed to lay off he told me one time he said Brother Matt, I'm just going to be honest. I've only drank two times. I was like, two times? I just listened, and I don't correct people. I just, you know, y'all want, you know, people want to be dumb. I just, you know, listen, right? I said, two times. He said, yeah, I've only drank two times in my life. And I'm like, I'm thinking, brother, I've seen you drink a hundred times. He said, no, only two times in my life when I was by myself and with somebody. So... <laughs> Friend, I don't care what you've been doing. The cross has finished it. It's over. You are loved and forgiven and that cross is there and it's there to prove forever that God loves you. Num the number next under principle number one that the cross has finished sin. Not only does it forever prove God's love and His kindness, He's not mad at you. He sent Jesus for you. But also the cross exhausted God's anger. You say, wait a second. You just told me God's not mad. Friends, God is angry at sin. And sin is serious. And apart from Jesus, God will be angry at us. He will be angry at us. For those of us who are in Jesus, we are positionally right with Him. And God will never be angry in the sense of His wrath towards us again. Now you say, wait a second. I don't know if I believe that. What about all those passages in the New Testament, like Revelation, where in Revelation 2 and 3, it talks about the churches that Jesus is frustrated and angry with. Friends, God can get frustrated at us, but you have to remember this. The same churches he corrected in Revelation 2 and 3 is the same church that's dressed in white in Revelation 19 through 22. Friends, you are positionally right with Him. And it's not just because of His loving kindness. It's for this as well. That the cross... I lay my own life down. But it was the Father who poured out 
His anger for my sin and your sin on the cross. And because of this, it's not that God swept the sin under the rug and said, no big deal. It's that the anger was extinguished because Jesus took for us what we deserved. And then he gave us his peace, healing, and righteousness. Listen with me to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. In this purify the sanctuary so that the people of God would be able to stand in God's presence for another year. Then the other goat was sent out into the wilderness after its sins, the sins of the people from the high priest were confessed over the people and the sins were sent out into the wilderness away from the people of God. Jesus, when he died on the cross, not only does he purify us, but he satisfies the anger of God and has carried away our sins. And the reason God is not mad at you and me if we are in Christ Jesus is because he poured out his anger on Jesus. 1 John 4.10, he is the propitiation for our sin. They bore my shame and your shame. It's gone. We don't have to be afraid because he endured our shame so we can stand before God blameless. Listen to Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter. He started it and he completed it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame God's not ashamed of you and does not want you to feel shame not because you're good but because Jesus died for you and if you're in him he is your Lord and Savior when Jesus said in verse 28 knowing that all scriptures had been fulfilled look sin the cross confused the onlookers we understand it now i'm able to the cross ended our what's going on not even mary his mother understood what was going on you see, when they looked at the cross, they thought it was all over. In fact, Jesus 
followers thought it was all over. Disciples. Friends, the darkest hour Jesus has ever endured and his, his followers, they all had tail and run. They leave him. They leave him. They didn't understand the cross. Friends, we wear crosses. We have crosses on t-shirts. We have crosses in our house displayed for decorations. Crosses on the backs of our cars. It's beautiful to us because we see what the cross is now, but it was hideous to them. They didn't understand what was going on. Jesus' followers thought it was over. Also, Jesus' enemies thought they had ended. what Jesus was doing there on earth because it was a secret kept in heaven between Jesus and his father. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8, a verse we've looked at a lot lately. None of the rulers of this Three. What else do we see about the cross today and the death of Jesus? Not only did the onlookers not understand, not only did his followers flee, not only did the enemy celebrate and dance and think we have ended whatever this was that God was doing, the death of Jesus literally turned the daytime into darkness. Mark chapter at 3 p.m. in the springtime in Israel with no storm darkness Friends, it felt like creation itself was coming apart. The death of Jesus literally turned the daytime into darkness. Let me tell you something. Darkness is scary. I'm going to talk about it more next week. I've had emotional pain. I've had spiritual pain. I've endured the loss of a son. We've lost babies in utero. We've endured hard things in other fashions and stuff like that. We endured Andrea's cancer. And I'm not trying to play, well, I couldn't play a violin for you if I wanted to, but I'm not trying to play a violin for you to feel sorry for me. But this most recent trial I had was different. I've never had physical pain like that before. In the worst bouts of my pain, I couldn't say Andrea's name. All I could say was, ah. Couldn't see except for what was right in front of my face. I've never hurt like that. And a couple of days before my surgery, especially at night when the pain would just ramp up so bad, I kept this visual in my mind of dark water, and I was slipping into dark water. This is scary. How did it come to this I was healthy just a few weeks ago and now I'm slipping I'm sure the disciples of Jesus the followers of Jesus how did it come to this 
Everything was great going with Jesus. And now it looks like the whole world is slipping into darkness. And then there was the burial. The burial of Jesus slapped the cold. which is the brightest of mornings. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. It's amazing to me all the emphasis on darkness. Darkness at the cross. Darkness in Gethsemane. Darkness... At the burial, they buried him at night. And even in the resurrection, darkness. Darkness. How do you make sense of all this stuff in the dark? All this stuff that goes on, the pain we experience. And I can't tell, I talk to folks in this room, in your struggles. You'll tell me, Brother Matt, I just, I just want to know what God wants me to do. I don't even know. I just keep asking and waiting. and God's not doing anything. I'm in the dark right now. And I wish I had a pill to say, here, here's the pill of light. Take the pill of light and everything's good. No, I don't, I don't even know how to make sense of it half the time. Darkness. Jesus was buried in the dark. But also, the resurrection took place in the dark. Don't miss that. When Mary came to the tomb while it was still dark, the tomb was already empty. The resurrection took place in the dark. Now, is there a picture somewhere? Let's think about our biblical knowledge. Is there a picture somewhere, maybe a scary picture, about the first day of the week, somewhere in the Bible, beginning in darkness and ending in light. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God... Because of the way the creation account is written. 
The way the Bible is written is not like Western culture. We calculate our days by having morning come first and ending in evening. The light comes first and then you end the day in the morning. No, 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 no. Not with God's story. The darkness comes first and God speaks in the darkness. And then the morning comes. And you see it right here in chapter 20, verse 1 and following that the darkness came first. Darkness of Gethsemane. Darkness of the trial. Darkness of the crucifixion. Darkness of the burial. Even darkness of the resurrection. And then the morning came. When does God do His most miraculous works? When nobody can see it. And it's not until you look back later and go, Good night! God, you were in this after all. Not only is a resurrection a miracle, I know it's been a long service today, but it's such important stuff. Resurrections are scary. Could you imagine any, any funeral? I don't care... If somebody you love, could you imagine how you would react if someone sat up in the casket at a funeral? Do you think everybody would be like, well, well, hey, George, how you doing, man? Good to see you, buddy. We would be scared to death. It was back, it was about 2013, 2014. I was taking a buddy of mine fishing, and uh, we were going to go to the Ross Barnett Reservoir, and I was living in South Mississippi. And so when I lived in South Mississippi, we had a five-acre lot and uh, had a nice zero-turn riding lawnmower. Love that. Um, but anyway, in this five-acre lot, we had field mice. It was a brand-new house that we had built, but we had field mice. So I, we, I went and I got, rescued some cats. And uh, anyway, one of them was a Himalayan cat that was a rescue cat. Absolutely beautiful. We named him King George. And uh, just a beautiful Himalayan cat. And we kept him outside to keep the field mice away. Well, my buddy and I were going fishing one morning. And I, I told him, now, meet me early in the morning. Because uh, it was real hot and it hadn't rained in a long time. I said, meet me about 3 a.m. Because uh, we're going to go up to Ross Barnett, which was a good drive. And uh, he met me there. And as I walked out in the yard, George was laying there dead. And I thought, man, it's my favorite cat. We had several. And I went over and called him and petted him. Frozen, stiff, tongue hanging out of his mouth, eyes. It was clear he had been dead for a while. So my buddy was a little late, so I was like, well, I need to bury him before, you know, I leave. So it had been, gosh, days since it had rained. The ground was hard. So I had to get one of those um, mattocks and a shovel. And, man, I worked for 30. By the way, digging holes, good gracious. Somewhere in the lowest pit of hell, people are digging holes in hard soil. But anyway, I finally got it deep enough, and I went and I got George, and I lowered George down in his grave. And he was just frozen. I mean, well, I don't need to do that. But <laughs> he was just frozen. I mean, even his tail is frozen, sticking out. And so I, I lay him down, 
And then I get him to about right here, and I'm about to drop him, and he goes, <laughs> and comes back to life. Scared me to death. You say, oh, you had your cat back. No, I, was, I nearly died. That was the scariest thing. One of the scary, I mean, oh my, I was not expecting that. Resurrection's scary. Because we expect death, we don't expect resurrection. There's another thing I want you to see, just a couple more things and we're done. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, the host had run out of wine. The only thing left was the cheap wine. In fact, we know this from John 2. Whatever it was, this party that God was throwing by sending Jesus to the earth, it had run out. And we know from John 2 that they served the cheap wine last. After all, the good stuff is gone. The parallel is right there in front of us. People would have thought... Jesus is drinking the cheap wine. It's over with now. Whatever this was, game over. John 2, 9 through 10, when Jesus turned the water into wine. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, it did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine you have kept the good wine until now. If his disciples were paying attention, when the cheap wine came out on the cross, it should have signaled to them the best was still yet to come. Not only did the first day begin with chaotic darkness and ended in glorious light, not only it had appeared that the host had run out of wine, but no, there was the best, there was more to come. When it appeared even Mary's grief was being stolen from her. She thinks they've stolen the body. The gardener appeared. The gardener. Is it any shock that Jesus was buried in a garden? And that when he was resurrected, Mary thought he was a gardener? Genesis chapter 3, when they were in the Garden of Eden... And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees. This time it's different. The first time God was looking for man. But this time, not only is Jesus looking for Mary, Mary's looking for Jesus. And it's not because Mary's special. It's because of what Jesus has done in Mary that's drawing her to Jesus. And she runs into the garden. Friends, I want you to remember that all of these things took place in the dark. With Jesus, the evening comes first, but the morning always comes. John chapter 1 verse 5 says this, the light. You say, but oh, Matt, Matt, I'm like you. 
I've lost loved ones. I've battled diseases. All I see is darkness. That's nice and wishful thinking. All I see is darkness. When is the light coming? Friends, every bit of the cross and the burial and the, 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 the resurrection took place in the dark. And if all you see is darkness in your life, you know what it may mean? That Jesus is working and you just don't see it yet. And now we look back on the burial and we say, praise God that he went into the tomb for me. Now we look back at the empty tomb. They panicked when they saw it. We celebrate it and say, it's empty and it means he's alive. We look back now on the cross and as they saw despair, we now see triumph and hope and victory. Friends, the morning changes everything that takes place in the darkness. There are always hints of hope. What does the resurrection mean today? Me today? It's what I opened with earlier in this service. 364 days out of the year, it's hard to make sense of the darkness. But on Resurrection Sunday, I'm reminded no matter how deep, no matter how dark, no matter how many questions I have, and God, are you there? Where are you? What are you doing? Am I going to make it? God, is this going to kill me this time? God, no matter how much of that is there, the morning is coming. And the morning is not just coming from Jesus and for Jesus. It's coming for you and it's coming for me. So I want to ask you a question. Friends, it's the only question that matters. Only question that matters. Do you know Jesus? Nothing else matters. That's more important of who you're going to marry. Some of you are worried about that right now. You don't need to worry about that. Let God take control of that. And let God just have His will and way in your life. Some of you are worried about where the next paycheck, the job is going to come from, when God's going to knock some sense into your kids and grandkids, things like that. When is this stuff going to happen for you? None of that stuff matters. None of that stuff matters in the long run if you don't know Jesus. Friends, you have a date with destiny. One day, your name's going to be called, and it's going to be your time to go. I thought I was dying. I actually called my mom and dad. I, called, I said, Mom, I think I'm dying. I, I felt myself slipping. I was thinking about my kids and not being there for Peter and not being there for my girls. and I just thought I was slipping away and dying. Well, I didn't, praise the Lord. But I am going to one day. And you are too. And all that matters, do you know Jesus? Not are you a good person. Not are you a member of this church. Not did you grow up in a Christian family. But do you know Jesus? Would you reach the place where you said, Lord, I acknowledge I am a sinner you died for me and I believe you have been raised from the dead. If you believe that and receive the Lord Jesus into your life then that makes you a Christian and if you haven't done that today, you need to do that today and come and tell one of our ministers here at the front. Also, there may be people here maybe God has had you here, by the way, if you, you were thinking about joining the church earlier and you're like 
Man, he preaches too long. This is really abnormal. I normally don't preach this long. I'm about 33 minutes. All right. But there's some of you out there. I know you've been visiting us and along for a long time. You've been like on a date with First Baptist Church. And friends, it's time to move past holding hands and kisses. Okay, it's time to join the church. All right. Perhaps, perhaps God has led you here today, and you say, you know what? I want to be a part of this church family. Let me tell you something. This church will love you in all of your troubles. One of the best blessings you could ever do for your family is to join First Baptist Church of Tupelo. Perhaps there's other things going on. Perhaps you just want prayer. Perhaps you just needed to be reminded of the resurrection. We'll be here at the front. The choir is going to sing. I want to ask you to stand and sing along with us. The pastors will be here at the front. And if God is moving on your heart, friends, this is Easter Sunday. Don't put Jesus off. Let him have his way.